as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. I'm ter- I love paper, but I'm terrible with it. And I've misplaced the story that uh, kind of is the genesis for what we're going to be talking about with uh, Evan Walker, who is um, uh, an attorney, a criminal lawyer in Houston. But you're also we're talking to you now to you now, not in your incarnation as a criminal lawyer, but but um, but for uh, a as law a, shield. As a for, Second for Amendment you. advocate. So. Um, so the, uh, president has, has done what's becoming fashionable, which is to put out executive orders and sure seems that's, um, accelerating. And he has decided that we need more comprehensive back. I'm paraphrasing in a hostile fashion, um, more, uh, attention to, uh, gun ownership and, and a whole lot of smaller things, which uh, I interpreted as an attempt to keep the issue alive with his supporters rather than to do anything that's particularly material uh, when it comes to gun ownership or gun oh, yeah. gun possession. Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, and he's been, I would say that he's sort of been, been emboldened by the midterm elections because, you know, the midterm elections came right after they had passed the bipartisan community safety law and and yeah. uh and of course uh, uh bruin new york state rifle association versus bruin came out and and so gun control was a hot issue and i'm sure that if the republicans would have made a better showing on that issue he kind of would have backed off of some of this but i think he's been emboldened uh by it and he used the matter to not only issue executive orders but also to uh you know to to put a to throw some shade at the congress by saying, well, Congress refuses to act, so this is the most I can do. Yeah, um, in my understanding of executive orders, they every president's done them. It seems to me that over the last, I don't know, 20 years or so, they've become more more aggressive. That, that is, he's the chief, he's the head of the executive, so that, that comes with certain uh, abilities that d- don't have to be approved by Congress, but They've also seems to me overstepped their the presence of overstepped their authority, but because it's a political problem, not you know, the court, courts aren't going to get involved, and it's never been it's never been settled as to how far they can go. Uh, he signed an executive order designed to increase background checks, and how does I yeah. mean, how does well, that work? It's, it's, if, well, what he's doing is is he's first of all he's he, he can pass an executive order that tells the executive branch to collect data and spend money and go out and advocate. So he's done that. 
but what he's also done is he's he's directed the Justice Department to expand the definition of who is a gun dealer or who is a person uh, who is a person dealing in guns or, or engaged in the business of selling guns. And if he can broaden that definition, then he can basically force more people to report their. First of all, he'll force them to get licensed as gun dealers, and then he'll force them to report any kind of sale that they've made, as well as doing a background check of the person they sold it to. Now, the problem with that is that for the last 50-plus years, people have been lawfully able to buy and sell guns to to either grow or constrict, constrict their collection as long as they sell it to a person that is in their state and as long as they don't do not knowingly sell it to somebody who's a prohibited person. So this is going after those people, and it's trying to, what in his words and the words they use, uh, create universal background checks, which is really just a subterfuge to create a firearms registry and basically compile a database of who owns guns, how many they have, and where they're at, which, of course, the federal government explicitly cannot do. But if they can get around that, if they can do it in a, in a, in a more surreptitious manner, that's what this is an attempt to do. Um, quoting, quoting um, well, let me back up. Uh, the, um, the desire to ha- do universal background checks, which I'm, I guess a lot of people would probably think, well, we're doing universal background checks. You go to buy a gun and they – they do a background check. Now, if you, in Texas, if you have a concealed handgun permit, I think that's waived because you're already checked. Uh, and I don't know, it's not known how many single instances of gun purchases or guns changing hands occur without a comprehensive background check. And then how many of those? Yes, well, of course. Go ahead. Yes, well, of course, the anti-gun folks want you to think that there are hundreds of thousands and millions of those uh, sales that happen. But what people should understand is is that anytime somebody goes and purchases a gun from an FFL, from a licensed dealer, they they have to go through a background check unless like you said they have a license to carry which the federal government says is a substitute for a background check. Um, also, uh, the only type of gun, if you sell a gun to somebody in another state, that person has to go through a background check. Uh, even if you're even if you're just a regular person, the only type of gun transfer that is not subject to a background check is an intrastate, which means it is totally contained in the same state, an intrastate non-commercial, which means that you're not selling it for business purposes, transfer of a firearm between a private person and another private person. That's it. So basically, it's selling your neighbor a gun or selling your cousin a gun or giving a you know giving your kid a gun um and kid i mean adult child obviously yeah uh those are the only types of transfers that are not subject to a background check but yet the anti-gun folks want you to think that that's the majority of transfers and it's simply not uh we're talking with evan walker who is an attorney and also with u.s law shield uh, i'm looking at this nbc news story um an administration official commenting on the desired enhanced background check says it's not clear how many new background checks the executive order would result in. 
So um, they they themselves what are going, is, well, is, we don't is, know. It yeah, just struck me as a lot of this is then. dressing. It's it's window dressing or or icing on a cake and not the cake itself. Uh, des- designed to make well, yes. I hate to be cynical, but Every designed time, to make people think it's moving. You know, gun gun control efforts are moving along, and I don't don't see that. Well, they really, well, yes, and every time Biden releases one of these uh, executive orders, he always prefaces it with, we still have a long way to go. This is not enough. Mm-hmm. We still have a long way to go. So, so no, the administration is totally on board with all kinds of restrictive, confiscative uh, potential uh, legislation. So they're just trying to, like I said, they're, they're trying to say Congress is not doing enough, so we're trying to do what we can. But what this is going to do, what these expanded background checks, and I'm using my air quotes when I say that, Mm -hmm. expanded background checks are going to do is that they're going to try to entrap people who are merely buying and selling guns for their own personal collection and claim that they're an unlicensed gun dealer and prosecute them under the federal law because it is already illegal to engage in business of of selling firearms when you're not a licensed dealer. So it is already illegal to sell guns to people you know are not allowed to have guns. It's already illegal to sell guns to somebody that from out of state, even over mm-hmm. the Internet. So there is no Internet loophole that they keep talking about. So these, so there's already laws in place to, to trap the truly bad people. What this is doing, what this is going to do is it's going to try to entrap a lot of previously innocent people. Evan Walker, I'd like to continue, but uh, the old clock on the wall, you know what I'm talking about. Thank you very much uh, for talking with us and um, making some of this stuff clearer than it was before. Evan Walker is a criminal lawyer in Houston, and he was with us on behalf of U.S. Law Shield. You're listening to the 956 Drive Home on 710KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710-KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710-KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. You're listening to the 956 Drive Home here on 710-KURV. It's time to uh, go to school. Dr. Jesus Chavez has had a long career as a uh, school ad- school administrator. Uh, he he was previously superintendent in Harlingen, and I, th- if memory serves, Doctor Chavez, you were last superintendent at the Round Rock School District. I guess that's yes, that's correct. Before everything blew up there in terms of population, um, and uh, you were executive director of the South Texas Association of Schools. What I what we want to talk about today is uh, what South Texas Association of Schools is, but also um, the um, I don't know how to phrase it the um, uh, the um, existence as it now is of the South Texas Independent School District, which we can 
talk about, we can explain to people what that is, but what, what's your organization sure. doing? What's it for? So uh, I work with uh, school districts in what we call Region 1, Region 2. Uh, region 1 is the uh, Rio Grande Valley, and then Region 2 serves the Corpus Christi area. So we have 53 school districts that are our members, and of course we work with them on the advocacy piece, you know, particularly during the legislative session. So we focus on uh, the school funding piece and, of course, uh, also equity across uh, schools and uh, also tax policy. What's the, uh, hmm, what's the beef What's the beef with the South Texas Independent School District, which was started about, well, in the mid-60s, to educate um, learning disabled children who, who now are – well, I'm going to let you do that. Every time I explain sure. it, I think I get longer in my explanation, so tell us about it. <laughs> no, that's quite all right. So uh, South Texas ISD was created around 1964 to serve, uh, as you indicated, uh, students with disabilities. And so they did that through the 70s, but with federal law coming in and are asking school districts to place students in what we call the least restrictive environments, almost all those special education students went home to their districts. At that point, uh, South Texas ISD uh, reinvented itself into magnet school programs. And so they have a number of magnet schools uh, throughout the valley. Uh, and of course, they're funded in two ways. Uh, one, uh, they get uh, the full state funding that all the other school districts get. But in addition to that, uh, they were given authority for a five cent tax uh, rate uh, for citizens in three counties, Cameron County, uh, Hidalgo, and Willacy County. And so, again, with those five cents, uh, you know, that's generating close to uh, $31 million uh, this past year. And the beef, of course, as you said, or the inequity that we have is that uh, most other school districts are receiving between 6800 to 7400 for weighted student. And they receive 12600 for weighted student. So that's about $5,000 more than all the other school districts uh, in the Valley. And what? that's a great discrepancy. It's not fair. It's inequitable. And so that's what we're trying to correct. Why do they get more per, per, per student? I, I'm going to say that it's just a quirk in the law that allows them to tax uh, the five cents. And, of course, they're taking advantage of that, right, to say we're taxing five cents as opposed to, let's say, one cent or half a cent, uh, which would give them equitable funding like everybody else. So with the five cents, uh, they generate over $5,000 per weighted student. And that's the way it was set up when, when the legislation was passed. Am I right? Y yes, but remember, but remember back then it was to serve uh, students with disabilities, which, wow. of course, there is additional cost, uh, not only in services, but equipment. And, uh, you know, special arrangements for yeah. students. They no longer have that. Uh, they have regular students now. Um, they do have a small percentage of students. So, but, you know, when compared to the special education students they're serving, they're serving a little over 3%, while most of our regular districts are serving, you know, 8 to 10, 11% of their students. And the, the magnet, I, I read somewhere, it may have been, their information that it was the first magnet school system in texas and uh, they they established was it med high and i used to know these med high and then uh, well technical and medical technical and scientific yes. education 
Um, there's nothing. Yes, they focused on the academics with their magnet school programs, and uh, they were one of the first, uh, you know, districts that that did that. Uh, now, they really are unique from the standpoint of that the law allows them to have the full state funding and the additional five cents of taxation. Okay, so the full state. I'm, I'm emphasizing this so that everybody, including me, will understand that the full state funding is that. Um, uh, the per per body per hot body. The reason your kid has to get there by a certain time to be counted as present that day because that head count then turns into money from Austin. And if they don't show up, then the district doesn't get the dough, doesn't get the money. Exactly. Of course, you know students have to be in attendance, and uh, we have what we call a weighted student, which gets kind of complex from the standpoint of uh, the characteristics yeah. that the students have. Uh, but yeah. if you compare weighted student to weighted student. Uh, they're receiving $5,000 more because of the tax that they do have. You know, and, and as you think of the amounts uh, for Hidalgo County, uh, they're taxing uh, a, a little over $11 million, almost $20 million of taxes that they collect from uh, Hidalgo County. Um, in Cameron, uh, it's a little over $10 million. And then in Willacy County, it's a little uh, close to 900000 so those, if, if indeed they were to change that, which again, the bills that uh, are proposed, mm-hmm. one of them deals with reducing their tax capacity gradually over a four-year period. And so, you know, citizens would see that tax coming down. Uh, and of course, if you look at it by county, uh, you know, uh, Hidalgo goes from about 20 million to 15 million, down to 10, down to five, and then down to where they wouldn't be taxed. Now, remember, the school district, South Texas ISD, would still receive full state funding like all the other districts. Uh, We're talking with, uh, well, the executive director of the South Texas Association of Schools, uh, Dr. Jesus Chavez. He's a Brownsville native and has been superintendent in Harlingen and other places. Two bills introduced by State Representative Sergio Munoz, Jr. to accomplish this. Uh, They're not long they're not long bills. There's not a lot of text, but they're written in sort of legalese. As I understand it, as I read here, uh, they uh, – and by the way, listeners, this bill, to my knowledge, has not been assigned to a committee, which would be a signal about what the leadership thinks about it. If they give it to a committee seen as favorable to it, then that's one thing. If it's sent to a hostile committee, then you have to ask people who know about the hostility. Like, that, that would – tell me that the leadership is not in favor of it and there's no senate companion bill that that i'm aware of so it looks like there'd be a vote a vote in the district which is the three counties to do away with i hope you read this and understand it because yes no no i I do and so you're correct Uh, the one of the bills calls for an election within the three county areas Mm -hmm. to do away with the tax and if the voters vote to do away with the tax, then the district will still continue to exist uh, other than they would work with the agency to become a charter school. So they would still qualify to exist. Uh, they, they would work with the agency. The agency and them would set out a plan to do that. But taxes would be eliminated because that's what the voters, again, would have mm-hmm. voted for. And it, but, so that's one bill. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say the second bill, of course, is is what we covered earlier, where gradually the tax would be reduced from uh, the current five cents 
Uh, 25% of that would come up over the first year, 50% would come up the second year, 75 the third year, and then the fourth year, they'd be down to no tax. But remember, in that scenario, they continue to still exist. We, even though South Texas has said that, you know, we would want to eliminate them, we don't want to eliminate them. We're fine with them existing and continuing to provide student services. We just want them to do it in a fair and equitable manner with the same uh, amount of funding that all the other districts have in the Valley. Have you, um, have you, um, where did this start? That's what I really want to ask. I've been, how sure. did this, the, the, the thing was set up in 1964 and now like all of a sudden, de repente, there's a, a move arguably against it? I mean, that's the way they're going to characterize well, well, it. Well, one, one, one district, and I'm sure they don't mind me mentioning them, in Lyford, you know, they were looking at a bond election, and as part of that, part of the education you do with citizens is to provide the tax information by entity. So the citizens there, the school board there was asking, well, how much does the city charge for taxes? How much is the district tax? Oh, and by the way, what is this here with South Texas ISD? And of course, you know, the superintendent there said, five cents. And so people started questioning that. Uh, and as a result of that, then, you know, it, it, everybody became aware because they also talked about, well, how much does five, five cents and the state funding provide per student, uh, per weighted student? And so then everybody came, came to realize that it was 12600 And they looked at their amounts, uh, which, you know, again, for the McAllen area, it's going to be about 7400 compared to the 12600 that South Texas ISD receives. So a lot of districts became unhappy with that. Superintendents became unhappy with that. We got involved because our membership actually voted to proactively seek a change to make it fair and equitable. Okay. And, uh, Jen, I guess I'm, I've got to wrap it up. Dr. Jesus Chavez is the Executive Director of the South Texas Association of Schools, and I know we'll be talking with you more in the future. Thank you very much for being with us today. We appreciate it. And you all are listening to the 710 KURV Drive Home. I'm Davis Rankin. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have a In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. I was on Fox News earlier today. I saw the story. Hey, spring breakers gathering near Mexico, oblivious seemingly to the crime threat even though there have been all sorts of warnings coming out of the U.S. Hey, listen, don't go to Mexico, don't go to Mexico. Joining us on 710-KURV, an expert on the constant struggle at the border and all of the cartel crime that's happening over there. You can find all of his information at Breitbart.com slash border. It's Idolfonso Poncho Ortiz from Breitbart, Texas, joining us here today. And... I mean, what's what's the latest on some of these travel advisors? You, you know what? Actually, let me ask it like this, because Davey and I had a conversation about this earlier today. Uh, I mean, you would think that 
like a travel agent would mention to to some of these kids. Hey, listen, going to Mexico probably not the best idea. Hmm. How how Actually, bad? How far off um, are we? On the contrary, I, it, it it would be more like Cancun is a great destination. Things are great. Don't worry about it. You know, go visit. Uh, you know, because that's where everybody's going. You know, despite okay, so. About 20 years ago, Matamoros was a booming spring break area. Everybody would go to the island. They would go to Matamoros. Then as things started getting more violent, people stopped going across on the border cities. Uh, however, you know, Tijuana remains very active. But other than that, you know, like Matamoros and Reynosa, they don't have an active nightlife that attracts spring breakers. However, Cancun has remained Mexico's biggest tourist destination. So that's where everybody wants to go. The prices are, you know, uh, hotels are expensive at this time. Meals, everything is, you know, upscale over there. So it's a great destination. So people don't really try to scare tourism away. It's a business. Sadly, you have six different criminal organizations that are operating in that area. Each one has their own little tentacles. For example, Cartel Jalisco is trying to fight off uh, or trying to take over the areas controlled by the Sinaloa cartel and their allies, they're fighting over the local drug distribution, the, the sale of alcohol, the sex trade. So that's where you have seen violence in Cancun and the Riviera Maya and Tulum and uh, other parts in, in the Quintana Roo area that we hadn't seen as, you know, before as much as now what we're seeing now. So that's the scary part. So whether... Travel agents are trying to warn tourists. No, what they're seeing is more of the, oh, you know, people go there all the time. It's great. No pasa nada. They still have that idea. What would you say are the biggest risks about traveling in Mexico? And as a comparison, I threw this out last week when I traveled to uh, New Orleans. At the time, it was the murder capital of the nation. And the big thing, the big thing that you were at risk about was just muggings, muggings and uh being uh, mistaken identities for being like a member of a of a of a gang or something over there in Mexico, you've got the kidnappings and the ransoms and the 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 shootouts that are constantly happening over there. What's at the top of the list? Well, you know, it depends on where you go, and and that's that's very important. If you go to a border city, it is the kidnappings, the shootouts, the things of that nature. If you go to a place like Baja Cancun, then you also have to factor in the resort style type of crime, the drug rapes, the, the adulterated alcohol, the, you know, the kidnappings, the extortions by police. Uh, and one of the things going on right now in the Cancun area is the fights over Uber and taxi drivers. So what? it's kind of funny, but the, in, in parts of Mexico, only taxi drivers had, the, you know, the, they were the only ones allowed to operate there. So in recent months, uh, Uber and a few other companies were allowed to go into the Quintana Roo area. So then the taxi drivers basically started acting like a gang. And they were looking around for Uber drivers and beating them up, trying to scare <laughs> them away. And even when there were tourists, you know, riding the vehicles. So that is actually on the, on one of the travel advisories that the Department of State sent out that, you know, that if you're riding around in an Uber in Cancun or Playa del Carmen, 
you could be in the middle of a fight between your Uber driver and a gang of taxi drivers. Uh, so that, that's sort of the, the, the types Listen, of crimes that are taking place. I, now, don't, I don't trust Ubers uh, in going general, back to much what less you mentioned, it, It's kind of funny, but, you know, I mean, the, the current generation that's going to spring break, I mean, literally these are the guys that were eating Tide Pods on TikTok videos and stuff like that. So I'm not really surprised that they're aloof to all this violence that's taking place. Joining us on 710-KURV, Ed Alfonso Poncho Ortiz from Breitbart, Texas. Davis Rankin, go ahead with your question. Yeah, I, I want to get a little bit more specific, and I'm a literalist, uh, Poncho. Um, if if your kid goes to or anyone goes to one of the big resorts, stays in the hotel, or, uh, and here's the wild card, or goes on whatever an approved tourist uh, venture is, he's still still liable to run into the cartel or um well let me just give you one perfect example even amlo mentioned this a couple of weeks ago they had discovered a cartel uh like a 911 operation center where you have uh computers video cameras communication network one of those but for the cartel one of the cartels in the cancun area that had cameras at the cancun airport so that just gives you an idea of how much control they have. Uh, like, you know, it's Mexico's biggest tourist destination. Instead of, you know, when you think of a drug cartel, yeah, it's not, everything is about pushing the drugs to the U.S. But in the case of Cancun, the local, there's so many people coming in from everywhere that the local drug distribution, that's where the business is at. So they, they're fighting to control that. And, you know, any club you go to, any bar you go to, that bar is going to be paying protection and there's going to be uh, uh, people from one cartel or the other pushing drugs on the tourists in, in those areas. That is a given. And I'm saying any bar you go to in the Cancun, uh, Playa del Carmen, Tulum area, that is why it's such a hot area at this point. I want to make sure I understand two, two things. Number one, uh, I guess you're talking when you talk about getting into the liquor business. This sounds to me like what the mafia used to be and still is accused of. They they want their piece of everything that happens. Um, but um, adult, not adulterated, but watered down liquor would be one thing. And then um, do people, do Americans really go down there and buy drugs? I, I sound naive, but that seems like the last smart thing to do. On the contrary, that's literally what they do. They go down there looking for a good time, and, you know, it's not drugs that they're going to bring across. It's drugs that they're going to consume while they're over there partying. I mean, you're literally going to Cancun to party and, you know, be as irresponsible as you can as a college student, which, you know, years ago it was unsafe, but it was kind of acceptable. Right now, with the cartel violence, it's even more dangerous than before. So, yes, people literally are going to Cancun looking for all the big no-nos that you're not supposed to do in the U.S. The thing that and, that uh, mm. that gets at me, we're, we're speaking with uh, Ed Alfonso Poncho Ortiz from Breitbart, Texas, and uh, we're talking about the travel advisories in Mexico right now. Uh, the thing that gets me are the, the, the kidnappings and the ransoms. You know, if you're partying a little too hard and flaunting a little bit of cash, I mean, how do you know that you're going to be, you know, 
uh, inebriated. I guess that's, that'll be the word I use for this part. And then you black out and wake up and you realize, hey, I don't know, maybe like a finger's missing and they're calling my 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 parents and saying, hey, we've got so-and-so, we want 50K or else you're never <laughs> going to see your kid again. Well, those cases, I mean, they do happen, but they're a little bit rare just because kidnapping an American draws a lot more attention, but they're not unheard of. I mean, we literally just reported on, on, on this woman that was kidnapped in, in uh, 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 the FBI just uh, issued a reward for, for information, you know, leading to her rescue. And she had been kidnapped since February, but we hadn't heard anything about that case. Uh, you know, it's just more, more recently we had the kidnapping of the four individuals in Matamoros. So kidnappings do take place. Now, the kind of kidnappings that you're going to see more in the Cancun area is going to be more, uh, which is something that's very scary. You know, we just saw that in, in Guanajuato and in other parts of Mexico where they're kidnapping young, young women. You know, young girls are attractive. They go to a club, you know, catch the eye of whatever local drug lord, you know, here's lifting some drugs, whatever. So maybe not a ransom kidnapping, but a different kind of uh, assault. So, you know, it's, you have to remember, in places, there's places in Mexico where the criminal organizations have more power than Mexico's government. And that's the reality of things. So when you're stepping into those places, uh, it's people should should really be aware of where they're going to not just throw caution to the wind and, and party like, you know, it, it was the 80s. Thanks a lot for stopping by as usual. Getting Thank us you, the Poncho. Reports, Poncho. It'll Alfonso Poncho Ortiz from Breitbart, Texas. Go to breitbart.com slash border and see everything that they have to offer. You're listening to News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day. And special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, good morning, guys. Well, let's now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Talking about banks. There's been a lot of talk about banks recently. You had a couple of failures. You had uh, a merger, which is which is what they like to call it. So there's been a lot of questions about banks in general. A few banks may or may not be at risk. And listen, I've been telling you guys, I was in loan ops. I worked in loan ops at the time when was probably the worst time you could work in loan ops in 2008. And I personally do not believe we are in a situation that looks like that right now. So some people freaking out over some of that news. One of the people that uh, will give us his take on what's going on right now, Stephen Patterson, is a financial strategist. He is also the director of client relations at Key City Capital. You can check them out at keycitycapital.com. So what's your take on all of this banking news that's happened recently? No, I, I think that you uh, nailed it. Uh, it is not the same thing as 2008. 2008 was all about a toxic asset class that was spread across every bank in the country. 
subprime mortgages, right? Uh, this is not that. Uh, in fact, if you look at the investments that Silicon Valley Bank made, they were in 10-year treasuries, right? The problem is, is they were so overweighted in treasuries that when capital began to be pulled out of that bank, they, they couldn't sell those assets um, without taking a loss because of the in rise in interest rates. So this is a very, very different situation than what we saw in 2008. Why do you think that there's so much hype about it? Oh, well, I mean, it, for number one, it sells newspapers, uh, for sure. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, let's, let's, let's be honest about that. And, and number two, uh, it makes for great, uh, writing when you have a large banking institution that has uh, come up against, uh, a hard, a hard situation. Um, but no, I mean, let's face it, 90 plus percent of our listeners out there right now uh, are going to be FDIC insured because they don't have a, an account in a bank larger than two hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars. You know, in a, you know they don't they're not holding that much money in a checking account or a savings account. And then you know of that that are you know what I would recommend is is making sure that you're spread across multiple accounts so that they're fully insured if you, if you have to stay with that much liquidity. That's you know what's fascinating to me is that uh, I I did a little bit of research on this, in that I think there was a, in one of the stories had mentioned I think there's maybe two hundred banks give or take that are at risk of similar fates as uh, Silicon Valley Bank, which sounds like a lot on paper, right? If 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 you're somebody that if you're Joe Everyman and you're walking along the streets and you hear that stat, it's kind of like okay, well I perked you perked you've you've piqued my interest, my ears are, are perked to this. Tell me more about it. But I, I did a quick Google search, and very, very quickly, it's like there's like 4,000 banks in the U.S. operating commercially in, in the U.S. Sure. So even if even if like 2,000, putting putting all of that into context, 200 banks out of 4,000, is that, would you consider that a drop in the bucket, even if they were all to go belly up at the same time? No, I, I would. It, it is a small number, but I would, again... Uh, go back and say, you know, FDIC insured institutions are not going belly up. And the other piece to this is, is that, you know, this would require all, every every customer of those institutions all going in and withdrawing their account in the same time span, uh, which is, again, what you saw in, with Silicon Valley. Um, so, uh, you know, we can pick apart uh, investments on every one of these banks. Uh, I mean, do you have banks that are long treasuries right now? Absolutely you do. The question is, is what percentage of the overall deposits are, are tied up in that? And then the second piece of that is, how much liquidity do they need to meet on a daily or monthly or even an annual basis? Um, and, and those that can't meet that, well, then that's a different conversation. But there's banking regulations out there that are very stringent, uh, that are, you know, most of your banks are following, if not all of your banks are following very closely. Um, you know, I, I think the need to push the panic button is very small. Joining us on 710KURV is Stephen Patterson, financial strategist from KeyCityCapital.com. Davis Rankin, your question. Uh, I guess you can't have too much of a good thing then if they had um, 
if they had assets, they had bought government bonds, which I think is kind of the government likes that when you do that, I, I guess. And they're backed by the full faith and credit of the United States. And but just I never I never thought about it being a bad turning in to be a bad thing, uh, which it did just because of the, the value of that asset. Yeah, I think that what you have to look at on on that particular piece is they bought 10 year treasuries. Uh, when 10-year treasuries were paying a point or less, right? And to mm-hmm. your point, those are very sound investments if you can hold them to term, right, the full 10 years. Uh, they had $21 billion, I think, of 10-year treasuries. So when they went to sell those, because interest rates had risen so significantly, the value of that bond was much less than it was when they bought it. So when they were selling bonds to meet liquidity needs, they were selling them at a loss. Well, you can only do that for so long until you now have a serious hole in your investment thesis, which is ultimately what happened to them. Are there ways of finding out how safe your bank is in particular? Sure. It's possible to request uh, what your bank is invested in. Uh, that, that That is open uh, for disclosure. Uh, so there's no reason that you can't do that. But at the same time, I would say, um, you know, your large banking institutions, I mean, you may remember in 2010, after the subprime housing crisis, there was a piece of legislation that came out called the, the Dodd-Frank mm-hmm. uh, Act. And, and, you know, that put tremendous restrictions on banks, number one, their ability to produce liquidity, and number two, what they could and couldn't be invested in. Um, nobody ever dreamed of outlawing or stopping a bank from investing in 10-year treasuries, right? But at the same time, who would have thought that they would have put so much of their investments in that asset class and then interest rates would jump historically, right? Four and a half percent in a year. We've never seen interest rates rise that fast. So it was a, it was somewhat of a perfect storm. Is This is Davis Rankin. Is there... Um um, is there an industry standard or something recommended by the regulators in terms of how much of each asset class a bank should have to be healthy and safe? Not how much of each asset class. However, there are restrictions on what they can and can't get involved in, right? And then the other piece to it is is that they have to meet certain liquidity tests over a prescribed period of time. Um, so there are, there is a check there, but there is not a, uh, universal guide, if you will, uh, because we want banks to be profitable, right? Mm -hmm. We want banks to make money. Uh, that's good for the consumer. That's good for the depositor. That's good for the bank and markets are not stagnant, right? What's a great investment today may not be two years from now three years from mm-hmm. now. So again, it goes back to just like what we talk to clients about. It's all things in moderation and understanding that you can't have this one, you know, put all your, put all of your dollars in this one bucket because today it's great. Well, you know, economies change. They're living, breathing instruments. Uh, and as that economy changes, you don't want to be sitting with too many eggs in one basket. This the other I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Last question, Davey. Go ahead. Well, the other problem I've, we've heard cited a lot is that the, the especially the, the Silicon Valley Bank was just badly managed. They it, 
it just it wasn't managed correctly, properly, whatever. Is that, you think that's true? I do. In Silicon Valley, for sure. Uh, you know, anybody that went that long on 10-year treasuries uh, was, you know, operating with a thesis that said interest rates weren't going to dramatically rise. Well, mm-hmm. tell me who in the last 12 months would have subscribed to that thought. I mean, Jerome Powell and the Fed were telling us exactly where they were going. They weren't hiding it. They they were very clear. We want a 4.5 to 4.75 federal funds rate by close of year. Guess where we were? Exactly there. Um, you know, they're not hiding where they're going right now. Now, the timing of interest rate increases may get influenced right now because of what we're dealing with, but they've been very clear. 5.25 to 5.5 by end of year. This is this is not a mystery. They are telling us where they're going. So anybody that was holding those for long-term durations, such as 10 years, you were ignoring everything that was being said publicly. And then Thanks, their board, the board would also have to be deficient for not being on top of that, I would guess. Well, as their chief investment officer certainly uh, has some explaining to do, and then ultimately... <laughs> the upper executives of that bank who took performance bonuses about a month before this crash certainly have some explaining to do as well. <laughs> right. The writing is always on the wall when people start taking early vacations. Hey, you know, I got some other business prospects somewhere else later, you know. Hey, uh, thanks a lot, Thank Stephen. Stephen Patterson from Key City Capital joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.